amazing thing. So, Father, would you help us? Uh, would you help me to uh, share just the things that, that only you want to share? And, uh, God, would you just give us ears to hear? May we see Jesus in this text, and may we uh, just understand his love for us is so much greater than anything we, we could ever put our trust and hope in. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are here in this midst and that you want to speak to us. And so we love you today. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Hey, keep con- continuing praying for Pastor Bubba. He's preaching, actually, right now um, in Kentucky at Pastor Cluddy Key's church, who was here this summer um, or earlier this year. And uh, so be praying for him. They're coming back tomorrow. Um, but please lift them up in prayer. He wants you to know that he loves you. But uh, we're talking today about finding God's will. How many of you have ever wondered what God's will is for your life? How many of you ever asked that question? I wonder what God's will is for my life. We say different cliche things of, man, I wonder what God's will is. Is this the will of God? If God wills. We say this a lot, but a lot of times I think it's very vague as to what exactly the will of God is for our lives. And we all want to be in God's will, but it seems like a lot of times we're not really understanding what exactly is the will of God. And so I've kind of defined it into two different types, two different, I guess, really not types, but categories of what God's will is. And let's, let's take some notes. If you got your notes, wave them at me. Let me see you. All right, good. All right. If you got your Bible, let me see that. If your Bible glows, don't show me. Um, no, I'm joking. It glows. It's all right. Um, if you don't, we got the Bible on the screen, and we'll jump into James chapter 4. But before we do this, let me, let me break out these two categories first, and then we'll go right into James chapter 4. But write this down. The, the first category that I want to talk about when we talk about the will of God is life-defining purpose. Your life-defining purpose is really what you're going to be remembered for at your funeral. One day when you die, whatever they talk about the most about you, that really is your life-defining purpose. If you go and you look all throughout Scripture, you see different people in Scripture that have life-defining purposes. Moses had a life-defining purpose of freeing the, uh, the, 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 ah, freeing the children of Israel out of Egypt. That was his life-defining purpose, and then leading them out. You see Esther, she had a life-defining purpose of saving her people. You see, Abraham Lincoln in history had a life-defining purpose of abolishing slavery and really just doing some phenomenal things for our country. Martin Luther King, I mean, we go down the list of different men and women in our nation and in our history that have had life-defining purposes that had big moments or big things in their lives that defined their lives. There's a guy by the name of Mordecai Ham. Most of you probably don't know who Mordecai Ham is, do you? Some of you may know who Mordecai Ham is. Mordecai Ham preached a message, and there was a young boy in that service that got saved. That young boy that got saved was Billy Graham. Now, how many know who Billy Graham is? How many know Mordecai Ham had a life-defining purpose? He fulfilled it because one guy in that service got saved, and that guy ended up growing up to know the Lord and to lead millions of people to the Lord. But nobody really knows a lot about Mordecai Ham, but everybody knows about Billy Graham. And sometimes with life-defining purposes, you don't realize what your life-defining purpose is until later in life. Sometimes you don't realize what your life-defining purpose is until there's a crisis. But here's, here's the good news in the midst of all this. If you're in the midst of a crisis right now, I want you to know something, that God is omniscient. God being omniscient means that he knows everything, meaning that no matter what goes on in your life, God knew about it before it actually happened. It wasn't as if God went to the, to the, 
to the kitchen to grab some lunch and then came back and was like, oh my God, what happened? God knows everything that happens. And so what that means is, is what you're going through right now is that he's at work on a solution for your life before there is a problem. And, and, and what ends up happening, though, with all of us is a lot of times we put so much focus on discovering what our life-defining purpose is that we miss the life-encompassing purpose, which is the second one. The second category is the life-encompassing purpose. Acts chapter 17, verse 26 says this, From one man he created all nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and when they should fall. He determined their boundaries. This is such a cool passage. What this passage actually tells us is that we were created by God. He decided that beforehand. But not only did he decide that you were going to be born, he decided where you were going to be born. He decided who you were going to be born to. He decided when and what century you were going to be born. He predetermined all of that. The fact that you live in Jennings, Louisiana, or Iota, or Crowley, or wherever you live, the fact that you are the age that you are right now is all a part of his life-encompassing purpose. What all that means is you have a purpose right now in this life, in this century, in this location. Do you understand that? Acts chapter 17 speaks of this, that all of us, there's no accident here. He decides all of this beforehand. And so often we're looking for our life-defining purposes that we miss our life-encompassing purposes for every day. God has a life-encompassing purpose for you every single day. But we're so caught up in finding the big picture of this life-defining purpose. Am I, what am I supposed to give my life to that we miss out on the daily things of what God wants to do in us and through us? And most of the time, I'm just going to tell you, this is how it works. Most of the time, if you will live out your life-encompassing purpose, you will discover your life-defining purpose. If you'll just live out what God has taught, called you to do on a daily basis, you will just run right into what God's called you to do in the bigger scheme of things. And so with that being said, I want us to look at James chapter 4 through the lens of what is God calling us, what's God's will for us every day. For each one of you, the life-defining purpose is going to be different. you got a passion for different things. For Mr. Barry, he's broadcasting the good news of the gospel across the airways and across uh, the television waves, as well as a part of the Gideons and giving Bibles. That's what he's known for. It's what Mr. Barry's known for. It's a life-defining purpose for him. But it started, I guarantee you, with a life-encompassing purpose to honor God And for all of us, we're so consumed with the life-defining purpose and trying to figure all that out that we don't realize that there's a daily thing of what God wants to do in the life-encompassing side. James chapter 4 breaks down really what the will of God is in our daily lives. And it starts with this. Let's read together. James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. What is God's life-encompassing purpose for you? If you're taking notes, the very first thing I want you to know, I want you to write this down. He wants you to walk humbly. He wants you to walk humbly. James chapter 4, starting in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? This is the opening statement of verse 1. Now let me just tell you what's going to happen. For the rest of the 12 verses after this, he's going to answer this question right here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war... What does it say? Say it out loud. 
when in, within you? Is it not that there's your, your passions, they're at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you what? You do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Notice what happens here. Being a Christian... I, Being a Christian really, a lot of times, doesn't save us from conflict. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but being a Christian sometimes involves more conflict. Have you ever noticed that? you ever noticed that when you give your life to the Lord, all of a sudden, like, all hell breaks loose and there's more conflict everywhere? Okay, that happens with, with all of us. And in being in relationships, remember, James is talking to the church. He's talking to a group of Christians. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to Christians, and they're fighting. They're fighting. You ever been in a church that's just fighting all the time? Just fighting. They're, they're constantly quarreling, constantly bickering, constantly complaining, constantly criticizing, constantly fighting. And the reason that we have relational fighting all the time is one word. Pride. Pride. Pride is me-centered. Pride is self-centered. Pride is all about me. Pride is all about what I want. And what is happening here is the church has started with pride. They, they got pride has creeped into the church, and they're fighting, and they're quarreling, and they're judging, and they're stealing, and they're killing. I mean, all this is going down in the church. Sounds like a great church to be a part of, huh? <clears throat> Sign me up. And so the pride, but here's the thing about pride. In all of our relationships, you're going to have conflict. The question is, are you going to have worldly conflict or godly conflict? Worldly conflict has pride. Godly conflict has humility. We'll get to humility in a little bit, but let's talk about pride real quick. Here's, here's two things about pride. First thing is this. Pride always starts with unchecked passions. Pride always starts with unchecked passions. It starts internally. Notice what happens. It says, what causes fights among you is this not that you have passions or war within you. There's things within you that are warring within you. They're, they're, they're battling it out. And it's usually emotional. Maybe you're, you're just, you're hurt. Or maybe you're angry. Or maybe you're upset. Or maybe you're frustrated. Or may, maybe you're scared. Let, let, me, let me walk you through how the enemy works real quick so we can just get this out on the table. There's a way that God's designed us to work. And there's a way that, God, uh, that the enemy wants to flip this. And let me show you how this works. God's designed us for us to think then feel, and then do. Romans chapter 1 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... That's, what is it? Mind. Okay. So if you were to take a three concentric circles, and you were to do a circle, and then a bigger circle, and then a bigger circle, right in the middle is not the heart. Right in the middle is your mind. It's the, what you think. And then outside of that is, is how you feel. It's your heart. And then outside of that is what you do. It's, what you, it's how you act. It's, it's your hands. And so you have your, your, mind, your, your mind and then your heart and then your hands. And God's designed us that we are to think first, feel second, then do third. But here's how the enemy works. And I'm going to just tell you, and if you, if you just look back through some of your decision making, I guarantee you this is how he played you. He wants to flip the script and he wants you to feel, act, then think. He wants you to feel first, then act, and then do. If it feels good, do it, right? Isn't that what the world subscribes to you? If it feels good, do it. It's the way the enemy flips the script. He wants you to feel something, feel a certain way. You're, you're mad? Then go. Have Adam, 
rip into them. Say what you want to say. You feel upset. You feel offended. You feel hurt. You feel, now, just go do something about it. And then after you do something about it, the enemy then flips the script and goes, man, you should have, been th- you should have thought about that a little bit more. <laughs> right? I mean, how many times do you sit down with your kids and go, were you not thinking? No, they weren't. They were feeling. And we all do it. We all base our lives based off of our feelings, which corresponds in certain actions, then thinking about it, processing through it first, then having the feelings. Because here's the deal. When you think about it first and get God's heart for it, you feel differently and then you act differently. But notice right here, it starts with waging, there's a war of passions inside of us because of, of, of hurt and there's, there's feelings that are going on and we feel hurt and we feel confused and there's just relational tensions that are going on. And so out of the feelings, what do they start doing? They start taking things. They start killing. They start, they start doing things. Look, look, look what it says. It says, you desire. That's a feeling. You don't have it. So what do you do? You murder. You act. You covet. You can't obtain it. So what do you do? You act. You fight and you quarrel. You don't have it because you, you don't ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your passions. God's way is for us to think, then feel, then do. And the world's way is for us to feel, then do, then think. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you follow your heart, your heart is deceitfully wicked. It's deceitfully wicked. How many of you, you just don't feel love at times? You've been, in, you've been married for longer than two weeks? You just don't feel love at times. If your marriage was based on how you feel, then you would be like the rest of the world and it's over. Right? But as Christians, we think first. Then we feel. Then we do. We get the heart of God first. But pride goes to the heart, I mean, goes to feelings first. L- look what James chapter 4, verse 6 no, l- says now. Chapter, uh, verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says that God, what does he do? He, what does he he opposes the what? The proud. He opposes the proud. Hey, how many of you, when, uh, if you had kids, when your kids started learning how to crawl, they started learning how to walk, how many of you had the kids that, that were very adventurous and loved just to dig in a lot of things? Uh, anyhow, I have kids like that crawling on things, digging in things, open up everything. And uh, when we first had Josiah, one of the things that we, if you, if you have your first child, you know, you, you like, you take everything and you like bolt everything down. Um, like every cabinet, every cabinet's got like an adult proof lock on it. You're like, how do you open this thing? Just let me open it. And then every, every socket's got a, got the little protection, uh, things in it. Uh, that's what we do. Okay. And so our children though, they, they want to, how many know when it comes to cabinets, they want the ones that got the chemicals in it. (laughs) No, no, no cookies or candy or the pantry. They want the chemicals. And so what we do is we either lock it or we stand in front of it and go, no, no, no. Tapping hands, re- repeating, no. Don't get in there. No, don't touch that. Well, they want what they want, right? And so they just want to be in that cabinet. And it's usually not for what's in it. Just They just want what they want and they want to get what they want to get. Sound familiar? <laughs> and, and we, in a loving stance as parents, say, no, you cannot get in here because we know what's behind this door will kill you. Now, let me, let me flip this and show you how this works with us spiritually. There are things that you want that God's not giving you, and you think he's withholding from you, but the truth is he's saving you. 
There's things that you're pursuing and going after, and he's, he just keeps putting his weight in front of it, his foot in front of it, and going, no. And you're like, God, I really want it. No. God, I need it. No. Because he knows what's on the other side of that will destroy you. And so his, his love for you doesn't care about how you feel because he loves you more than anything. And pride here is all about unchecked passions. And God loves us so much that he will not allow those doors to open even though we beg him so much because he knows where it will lead. There might be a reason you're not getting the job that you really want. God knows more than you. Yet again, remember, he's omniscient. He knows the things that are happening before they happen. There's a reason maybe you're not getting the things that you think you want because it may lead to somewhere that God doesn't want it to lead. But we understand that pride comes in into our relationships and it just kills things because of unchecked passions. But here's the second thing about pride. Not only does it start, start with unchecked passions, but it ends with unfulfilled promises. See, here's the problem with this. We're in love with the wrong things. Uh, let, let, me, let me put it to you this way. The world promises things that it actually cannot deliver. It, it, it sends an invitation to you to a party that it cannot throw. The world tells you, here, go do, th- do this, do this, drink this, have this, do this, and you will be ult- ultimately satisfied, ultimately fulfilled, and we know that when we get to it, we're not. It's a lie. The world tries throwing a party that it can't actually throw, and it wants to deceive you to make you think, and the world has unfulfilled promises at the end. You, want to, you put all your hope in job. Well, in the end, you're not fulfilled by it because you were never f- meant to find fulfillment in a job. You were never meant to just find all your fulfillment in a wife or in a man. I'm sorry, Jerry Maguire, but she will not complete you. She won't. She will offend you. She will hurt you. But she will not complete you. Because Jesus is there for that, and he is our fulfilled promise. And pride, it, it, it wants the easy way. And, and what this verse is saying, it says, look at verse 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're asking for the wrong things. See, we ought to be asking God for the things that we want rather than everyone else for the stuff that we want. They're looking to stuff. They're coveting for stuff instead of seeking God for what he wants to give us. They're trying to, I want this, and so I'm going to go and get it. And the truth is they should just be asking God for that. God wants to give that generously to us. God wants to give us the things that we want. But it always ends with unfulfilled promises. Pride always ends to that place. Read, let's, let's read Verse 7 through 10, and I want to show you the flip side of pride and how all this plays out. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 says, Now submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Let's, let's back up. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. Underline that. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Let's talk a little bit about humility, which is the flip side, because pride is what destroys all of our relationships, and humility is what reconciles all of our relationships. And here's the two things about humility. 
Humility starts with a submitted heart. It starts with a submitted heart. Verse 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. See, here's the thing about pride. Pride sees other people's sins, but it, don't see it, own. it doesn't see its own. Pride calls everybody else's sin out, but it doesn't call its own out. Humility allows us to see our own sin and our need for a Savior. Humility in relationships be, be, is, is, is the ability for us to walk into a relationship and somebody to offend us or hurt us, and yet in the midst of that, not get offended at them because we understand that we've done that to other people and we've done that to them too. And so we're humble enough to see our own sin and our own need for a Savior, and it starts with a submitted heart, and that comes when we submit our lives to God because a proud man wants to win and a humble man wants to worship. A proud man just wants to win the, over whatever the situation is. I just want to win. And us men are really good at that. I mean, we'll fight to the death to win. And in the end, we didn't win. We lost already. And you may win the argument and lose the heart. And pride wants to win. It's all about me and what I want. I will win. I, I, I'll do whatever I can to do for me. But it, humility is, is the ability for us to worship God and put other people in front of ourselves. And the only way you can put other people in front of yourselves is when you submit yourself to God and say, God, I'm submitting myself to you first. And then when I submit myself to you, now I can submit myself to love other people as well. But it starts, humility starts with submission to God. It starts with a submitted heart. All of us in here need to understand that it begins with submitting to the Lord. If you're having relational problems, it's because you're walking in pride. You're walking in pride. Humility is the ability to reconcile those relationships. We have to walk in it. And, and, and I'll say this. I am a proud man that is pursuing humility. Because as soon as somebody stands up and says, I'm a humble man, they're not humble anymore. <laughs> Do you understand that? <laughs> I'm humble. Yeah, really? Okay. All right. You're just now proud. So we are proud people pursuing humility. I'm a proud man, but I'm constantly wanting to pursue humility. So it starts with a submitted heart. Number two is this. It ends with a satisfied soul. Humility always ends with a satisfied soul. Look what it says in verse 8. Draw near to God. And what, what's the opposite reaction to that? What ends up happening? He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And look at, look at verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, here's the thing about humility, though. You have to humble yourself because if you don't humble yourselves, God will humble you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. If you don't humble yourselves, God will humble you. And you much rather humble yourself than happen to have God humble you. I promise you. You would much rather humble yourselves than having God humble you. Because one of the ways that God brings humility sometimes is through humiliation. Allowing you to walk out the consequences of your sin and that sin to be exposed in the public. And so that can bring, break us, break our pride down to bring humility there. And we can walk humbly in all of our relationships because we understand that humility always ends with a satisfied soul. If I walk humble before the Lord, I come to him and go, God, you are all that I need. 
I don't need that, that person that offended me. I don't need their approval. I don't need their affection. I don't need whatever I'm trying to get from them that I should be getting from you in the end. I don't need that because you are all that I need. You are my satisfaction. You are my, my everything. My hope, my joy, my life is found in you. And humility allows us to walk in that and understand that Jesus is everything for us. And so we need to understand that God's life-encompassing purpose for you is to walk humbly. May we be a people who walk humbly. Number two, may we be a people who love freely. Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 11 now. It says, do not speak evil against one another. Notice, they're still going through stuff. He's got, he, why do you quarrel and fight in verse 1? Now verse 11. Okay, guys, you're talking bad about each other. He says, why do you speak evil against one another? The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, and he who is able to destroy, to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Notice it starts first with do not speak evil against one another. Remember, we're talking about loving freely. And one of the things that we have to be very conscious of when we're in conflict with relationships is our mouth. Pastor Bubba said this in in a message, and I've never forgot it. I think it was probably a year ago. He said, when things go south, watch your mouth. I thought that's a great quote. When things go south, watch your mouth. We need a new updated version of it. When things go south, watch your Facebook. That should be the new updated version. It's it's filled with just people ranting about what they're frustrated about, what they hate. I'm like, why do other people? I don't care. You should be bringing that to the Lord. That should be something between you and God because he's the only one that I can, actually can fix it. All you want, here's the thing, when we do that, all you want is pity or all you want is people to join on your side to validate why you feel the way you feel. Yeah. I'm so upset. Oh, what happened? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you should be upset. Let's be upset together. <laughs> really, that's all, your way, that's all you want, right? The only re- gossip is, at its core, it's, it's when we, we talk about someone rather than talking to someone. Y'all understand this? Gossip is when you talk about somebody, but you don't want to talk to them. And so he says here that you are speaking evil against one another. And, and speaking evil consists of half-truths. It speaks of gossip. What's half-truth? Half-truth is when we tell half the truth. We tell the half that makes us look good. You sit down with somebody and go, what's going on? And they tell you all the stuff that happened that they did, but you leave out the part that you did because we say the part that makes me look good and makes them look bad. And oftentimes what we're looking for is for people to join our side in the fight. We're not looking to actually reconcile the relationship because of pride we want to win, right? And so it says, watch your tongue. But notice this, watch what he says in verse 11. Don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. I love this part. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. 
Your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. So here's the question. Your job is to obey the law. What is Jesus' law? He summed it up with two. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and you know what your job is? Love people. You're not the judge. So get off the throne. There's only one judge. He does it good enough. Let me give you an example that you will remember. Um, this weekend, my wife, uh, this whole week, my wife's been gone for um, uh, vacation again. It seems like she's always vacationing. Um, she leaves me and Joel, so we've been, we've, been, we've been bacheloring it up all week and eating pizza and Hot Pockets. And, um, and so she's been gone, and yesterday, yesterday my mom called and said, hey, you want to bring Joel over? Um, the boys aren't here. Why don't you come bring, the, my, why don't you bring Joel over, and he can spend the night. And I'm like, heck yeah, let's do this. And so packed up all his medicines, got all of his stuff yesterday morning, and took off over there. Uh, to my mom and my grandma. They both live in the house together and took off over there and um, got them all settled and I left and I get a text later that afternoon going, Joel's just living it up. He sat in my lap for two hours, watched his uh, movies. Uh, my mom went and took him to go get a Icy. She's taking him to IHOP to go get, get pancakes. I mean, just all this stuff that's going on. I'm like, oh, well, that's, that's awesome. I said, the problem is I'm gonna have to have grandma rehab when he gets back. Y'all know what grandma rehab is? Come on, are there any grandmas in the house? You send, come on, you send your grandkids back home. Because here's the deal. A parent's job is to love, correct, discipline, teach, train. A grandparent's job, though, is to love, spoil, have a candy bowl as big as, okay, listen, I'm going to just, my grandma's probably going to listen to this message, so you listen, Pete. So, Here's the deal. About a year or two ago, I'm at the house. It's late. It's like 10. And the boys are still up. And Josiah walks through the living room with a bowl. I'm like, what do you got? And he's walking to my grandma's room. She stays in his room, and that's where they kind of all do their fun things. I'm like, what do you got? He's like, Dad, I got ice cream. I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. So I follow him into my grandmother's room and go, who said he could have ice cream? And she looks at me, she said, I did. I said, why is he having ice cream at 10 o'clock? She said, it's milk. (laughs) I'm like, it wasn't milk whenever it was me. It's milk. I mean, here's the deal. Let 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 me walk you through how this works. God the Father... The Bible talks about how God is a father, and God the Father's job is to love and to instruct and correct and teach and judge. Your job is to love people. You're the grandparents. You get the good job when it comes to people. You're not the judge. Okay, so my grandparents, all they do, my grandma, she just spoils me, loves me, just, man, just lavishes love on me. That's what she does. She doesn't have to correct me. That's my dad's job. He corrects me. He judges me. My mom judges me. She corrects me. That's their job. That's what they do. Grandparents, they just get the love, free love. God says you have one job, and it's not to judge. It's to love. So he says you get the grandparents' rule. You get to love and I get to judge. How awesome is that? You don't have to judge anymore. You just get to love, 
and let him do the judging. Amen? Amen. That's what we do. Our law, your one job is to obey God's law. God's law is to love God, love people. Not love God and judge people. Love God and love people. God will do the judging. He'll take care of it for you. There's one judge. He's the judge. And he, if he can save, look what it says. He can save. There's only one lawgiver, judge. He is able to save and he's able to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you? Jesus said it best in this. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you. Watch this. Your gift will return to you in full press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Now here's the deal. Every time we have ever probably heard this read, it was when they were doing the tithe and offering. But did you just realize what we started with? Had nothing to do with money. So I don't, this applies to money because it's a principle. And I'm going to tell you what this principle is. It's a principle throughout the entire universe. I'm going to tell you what that is. But I want you to understand first and foremost, this is not talking about money. This is talking about judgment, condemning, and forgiveness. And so here's the law. There is a law. Just like the law of gravity, there's also another law called the law of reciprocity. You know it. You know how it works. The law of reciprocity is for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's it's how a jet works. It's got a turbine. It blows, sucks in air, shoots it out, plane goes. It's how it works. We, We know this law. We know how it works. And what we have here is actually know that this isn't just something in physics. This is God designed it this way. This is how God has designed our system to work. This is how God has designed us to work. And let, me, let me tell you how this works. Social psychologists say that if you were to go and do something for somebody, there is a natural instinct inside of them to want to do something for you. Watch how this works. If you go anywhere where there's two, two double doors and you walk in and you're the first and you grab the door and you open and say, after you. of the time, those people will walk to the next door and grab the door and open and go, after you. And if there was five or six sets of doors, they say that that you would try to outdo one another. No, after you. No, after you. No, after you. Because there's a natural law of reciprocity, which means for every action you do, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So for loving people, there's a love back. For for caring for people, there's care back. As As he sows, that's what he reaps. The Bible says, he who waters, he himself will be watered. There's a natural law of reciprocity. Now, let me tell you how this works. This works in giving love, but it also works in giving judgment. It also works on the flip side. That if you do, if you, if you sow bitterness, you'll reap bitterness. If you give judgment, you'll get judgment. If, you, if you're sowing criticism and gossip, guess what? You're going to get criticism and gossip. Bible also says he who has friends is friendly. I know it's real deep in here. If you want to have friends, be friendly. I know, go figure. Because it's it's the natural law of reciprocity. What you give is what you get back. It happens in finances too. 
I mean, this is the greatest thing about finances. You give finances away, you sow into the kingdom of God, and God sows right back into you. It's how it works. But let me show you something. James chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, God alone who gave the law is the judge, and he alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Um, there is, uh, how many of you have seen the movie, The End of the Spear? Have any of y'all know what that movie is? Man, if you do not, if you've never seen End of the Spear, write it down and go find it. Um, End of the Spear is a story about missionaries, uh, Jim Elliott, and a group of missionaries and their families that went to the Wadani tribe. The Wadani tribe was known as one of the most vengeful tribes ever. They, they could not get along with people. They were spearing and killing. They, they called what they did spearing. And what they did is that if they had another tribe that they didn't like, did something to them, they would spear them. And what they would do is they would send one of their, one of their guys from the Wadani tribe to the other tribe, find the guy who committed the crime against them, gossiped about him, did something. I'm sure it wasn't gossip, but did something about it. And they would spear him in the middle of the night. And then what would happen is that tribe would then go and get their main leader guy to go into the Wadani tribe and in the middle of the night spear them. And this happened for centuries. And we're not talking about like a weak battle. This happened all the time. These tribes would go back and forth, and it's called spearing. They would spear one another back and forth. And Jim Elliott and a group of missionaries went into this tribe, flew into this tribe to just go to the uttermost parts of the world and preach the gospel. And they went in, they preached the gospel, they landed their plane in there, and they got speared. All the men. All of them. They were killed. And I was thinking about this because when it talks about in verse 11 that you speak evil against one another, I was thinking about spearing. Because isn't that what we do with our tongue? I spear you, you spear me. Then I spear you back, then you spear me back. And then we keep spearing each other. Judgment and criticism and gossip. I'm just spearing. That's all I'm doing is I'm just throwing spears I'm my husband, throwing spears at my wife, I'm throwing sprint spears at my neighbor. I'm just, I'm throwing spears. And here's the thing about all of this is we forget that Jesus was speared for us. He took the spear. And when he took the spear, he, he says we don't have to spear anymore because it's finished. So we don't have to keep doing this anymore. And that is what Jim Elliott and the men came in to do and said, you don't have to fight anymore because there's peace here because there's peace that's found in Jesus. And they got speared. They got killed. Now, here's the craziest thing about all of this. Their wives find out, of course, that their husbands were all killed in this creek. And, and not just, I mean, tortured and, and speared to death right there. And guess what Elizabeth Elliot and the rest of the wives do? They go to the same tribe that speared their husbands and reached back out to them, knowing that they could still be speared themselves but by God's loving mercy, the forgiveness that they showed the Wadani tribe ended up saving the entire tribe. Now, let me, let me show you how this works in our own lives. If you will learn to walk humbly and to love freely, meaning you don't hold on to bitterness, you don't hold on to offense, you don't hold on to judgment and criticism, 
but you walk in humility and you give love when you could give gossip or you could give criticism or you could give a good tongue lashing or you could, but you decide, no, I'm going to love freely. I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to let that hold on to me. What you're doing is the same thing. You're ending the spearing and you're letting the love of Jesus deal with people because God is the judge. I think you've had somebody do something to you that just was not right. I think we've all had something. And I, you, let me just tell you, you would much rather God be the judge than you. You would much rather that. Let him deal with that person and not you. But a lot of times we want to take the spear and we want to go and we want to throw it. But here's the deal. And, and at the end of it all, guys, listen, Jesus took the spear for us all. Jesus took the spear for us all. We don't have to spear anymore each other because Jesus took all that spear. And so it is now finished and we are free. And because of that, we now can refuse to judge, refuse to be critical and refuse to gossip. And now we have the job just to love freely. Amen? Yeah. It's not easy, but it's our job. Last one. So we walk humbly, we love freely, we live urgently. James chapter 4, now in verse 13. Come, now you who say today or tomorrow, where we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and we're going to make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is you boasting in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So, whatever, so, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Come on, say it out loud. Sin. Two things I want you to know about living urgently. One is this. Life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. Um, I will never forget January 2nd, 2013. Ever. It was the day Lindsay calls me in my office to tell me that my son is in heart failure. I'll never forget it. Ever. I never saw that day coming. Never saw it. Was, wasn't prepared for it. It just rocked my world. I'll never forget the, the, the call that I got that my grandfather had died. My grandfather died in a bank bathroom of a massive heart attack like that. Mr. Barry knows he was there to be a part of all that. And I remember the phone call that we got from, uh, we were up in Dallas, and I remember my dad, me picking up the phone, and the person on the other said, give the phone to your dad. My dad picked up the phone went to another room. My mom wasn't there, and he came out, and he's crying. And I asked him what's going on, and he says, not right now. My mom got home. He told my mom, and was just screaming. All of you have probably received phone calls like that at some point. Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. All of us have walked through some things, but I just want you to understand this. When it comes to living life urgently, you have to understand that life is uncertain. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. See, here's the deal. Some of you will not be here to, next year. But none of you in here think it'll be you. Everybody thinks they're invincible. We think that God owes us 80, 90, 100 years. It's not the case. 
God knows the beginning. God knows the end. But here's the deal. You don't. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the good news, though. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but Jesus does. That's good news. You know why? Because that means he's already in tomorrow before I am. Which means he's already preparing me for what I'm going to face tomorrow, no matter how good or how bad it is. So that means no matter what news I get, I know that God's already there, and he's already working it out for my good and his glory, no matter what. No matter the diagnosis, no matter the, the situation, no matter if it's a call about your son or your daughter, or no matter if it's a tragedy or whatever, or you lose a job or whatever, guess what? God knew. And he's still working things out. And if you could learn to trust him, life will be much better. But may we live with an urgency, understanding that we're not... We're, we plan. I'm a planner. I got plans for my family. I got plans for the year. I got plans for things. But I'm not guaranteed any of those. It doesn't mean we don't plan. It just means we, un, we hold things loosely. So we live knowing that life is uncertain. But the second thing is we live knowing that life is short. Y'all understand, like, even 80 years on this earth is like this compared to eternity? I mean, it's like a, I mean, that's why he describes it as a whisper or as a mist or as a vapor. It's just so short. I mean, life is just so short. And I'm going to tell you this. Life is just way too short for you to walk in pride. Life is too short for you to walk in grudges. Life is too short for you to walk in judgment. Life is too short for you to walk in, in, in full-blown just, I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. You need to understand that life is urgent, and you need to take things that are the most valuable and put all of your time into there. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things, and he will give you everything that you need. I, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Here's the biggest challenge I've, I've actually had within the past two weeks. Lindsay and I have been talking about this about a while, is just putting our phone down. At what point in our life did we figure out like we have to have our phone with us everywhere? There was a day when the phone was actually connected to the wall. I know some of you don't remember that, but uh, there was a one time we actually had a cord. Now you bought like a 90-foot cord so you can get across the house. <laughs> and everybody had to do the limbo under it as you talk to somebody. But at one point there was a phone and it wasn't smart. It was pretty dumb. It did one thing, call people. Nowadays, though... It's, I read a statistic that said 50% of people that have a Facebook, it's the first thing they do right when they wake up out of bed before they even get out of bed is they open it up. And I thought, about how much of our lives will our children look and see that our phones are more glued to a screen than they were glued to them? Man, we need to live life urgently. Life is short, and we need to put down the things that mean nothing and develop the relationships in front of us. God, it bothers me when I go to a restaurant and see people sitting in a restaurant and on their phone and thinking, you're, you're missing out on the people across the table from you. It's a rule. Put it down. Put it away. Life's too short. Life's too short. I'll, I'll even say this. Life's too short. We need to share Jesus with as many people as we possibly can. That's why the Gideons are so powerful. It's our mission just to share Jesus. You need to do something this week and share Jesus with somebody that you, I, I promise you, death will give you a quick reminder of how short life is. And oftentimes, it, it will bring some guilt because you wish you would have done something that you didn't do. See, because the, the enemy's job is to keep us busy. 
so busy that we get distracted and so busy that we realize that life is actually really short. And we invest all of our time in things that are meaningless and none of our time in the things that are meaningful. As a, as a church here, our greatest passion should be to see the kingdom of God advance. That's number one. Love Jesus and see his kingdom advance. Out of that, loving our wives, loving our family, leading our family well. We want to do that and we want to do that well. We want to be men and God, men and women of God of integrity, great families that we've led well. And then from there, we want to be great bosses and great employees and, 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 and great owners. And we want to lead our businesses well and flourish those well. But we want to make sure we get our priorities right. We put our emphasis on the things that are the most important and not as much on the things that are least important and keep those things always before us. Take your wife on a date. Just do something this week just to invest in the people that you love because life is short. And I want to end with this. It's a 10-day challenge. For the next 10 days, I want you to wake up every morning and ask God to help you with these three things. God, would you help me to walk humbly? God, would you help me to love freely? And God, would you help me to live urgently? And I want you to really ask the Lord to give you specific things that you can do, not just just praying those things, but God, what are specific things to do? Maybe in walking humbly, maybe you need to go and ask for forgiveness from somebody. Maybe in, in loving freely, you need to go and just love on your neighbors or love on your coworker or, or love, love your enemy. That's a hard one. Maybe for, for living urgently, you just need to do something that you've been procrastinating on for a long time. You just need to go and do that. And I love how James chapter 4 ends because it says, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, what is it? Sin. Hey, let's not get so wrapped up in the life-defining purpose that we miss out on the life-encompassing purpose of walking humbly, loving openly, and living urgently. That's what God's called you to do every day. And I believe in, as we pursue that and do that, God will show us what the, his bigger will is for us. Because the truth is, if you walk humbly, love openly, and live urgently, there's no greater way to live. No greater way to live. No greater way to live. I, I can't share this message without giving an opportunity for people in here that are not submitted to Jesus and you have not put Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And all throughout this message, God's just been challenging you and speaking to you. He's drawing you here today. And uh, a part of living urgently is understanding that if I was to die today, I don't know if I would be in heaven. I don't know if I'd spend eternity with Jesus. I know that I've put pride, I've put me first. It's been a me first, centered, me oriented. Everything's been about me. And I realize what that's doing in my life. And I want to put others first, but I want to put God first. That's where I want to go first. And I want to give an opportunity for any of you today. You can walk out of here as Mr. Barry shared with God taking a stony heart and giving you a new one. You can go from death to life. From a life of me to a life of him and others. There's no greater way to live than to live our lives for the Lord. Is there conflict? Yep. Is there hard times? Yep. But he's enough. And he'll walk with you through every one of them. Amen? So I want to pray. Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus, I pray over your people this morning. And I pray, God, that you would, you would speak as you've been doing. And, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who walk humbly, love freely and live urgently.
God, may this not be a message that we hear out of one ear and then let it go through and never really allow the seed to take root into our hearts and to develop into the fruit of our lives. But God, that we would respond to this message by the power of your Holy Spirit to be a people who may have walked in pride and are walking in pride, but may we be a people who pursue humility, God. Pursue humility in our marriage. Pursue humility in our parenting. Pursue humility in our relationships. God, may we pursue humility and be a humble people. God, may we do away with judgment and criticism and gossip and slander and lying and half-truths. And may we pursue loving freely because we understand that we can love because we were first loved by you. You first loved us. When we were far from you, when we don't want to have anything to do with you, when we were cursing you, you were still relentlessly pursuing and loving us. And your love compels and draws us today. So I pray we would be a people that out of the overflow of your love for us, God, that we would love others. And God, lastly but not least, God, remind us to count our days. God, only you know the end, but we put our faith and our trust in you. God, we ask, Lord, that you would give us just an urgency. God, if we've been procrastinating to share Jesus with people, God, would you, would you help us to give us the boldness and the courage to step up and to talk to that cashier, to talk to that coworker, to talk to that family member, God, about Jesus and what he's done in our lives. God, give us an urgency when it comes to the things of the kingdom, when it comes to the things of our family. Give us an urgency there. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us. More than anything, Holy Spirit, would you come in and make hearts that are stony, would you make them alive? And that's, if that's you today. The Bible says if we repent of our sins, if we confess that Jesus is Lord, that he will come. If we'll call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. And if that's you in this place and you want to call upon the name of the Lord, you want God to save you just all across this room. Can you just raise your hand all across this room? Come on. I'm seeing hands all up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Jesus, make stony hearts brand new. God, life, life, life. Life, life, life. Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy and thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that covers our sins. But Jesus, more importantly, thank you that you died for our sins and that if we put our faith in you, you give us your righteousness. We're new creations, new people because of Jesus, because of what you've done. God, we love you today. Thank you for what you've done and for what you continue to do.